Here we go. Coming to the end of Epiphany, the Lord will bring light to shine on things now hidden in darkness. The Lord will disclose the purposes of the heart, 1 Corinthians 4. Of course, that's toward transfiguration already next week in the beginning of Lent on Ash Wednesday. So light gets promised, right? In Epiphany, things get made manifest, things are revealed. And then ultimately, of course, they're revealed in the face of Christ, uh, in whom you see the face of God. O God, who's gathered and called a people from the ends of the earth to serve you, grant the increase of your governance among us and give us your Holy Spirit, that your name may be glorified to all who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. How you doing? Everybody good? Uh, we're going to give some money to... Hey, this is great. You know what's great? I had dinner with another pastor on Thursday. You know what the guy's lusting for in his heart? This is a true story. Alert trailer like ours. <laughs> I'm at dinner with a pastor. This guy says to me, you're causing me a lot of grief in my parish. I'm like, er? He said, yeah, my guys went to Mississippi too. They want to know why we can't have a trailer like yours. I said, well, because we're a NASCAR affiliate, as you can tell by looking at our trailer. So uh, anyway, you put the press on him. But I, you know, what's going to happen is things are going to wear out and get hurt and not start and break down. So uh, we're going to give, because stuff's being used hard. If you, you should just take a second and look at the slideshow downstairs that Pastor Bukes put that together with pictures from Jan Krzyzewski, and I think it's her text. It's startling, you know, how big the trees are and, you know, how much mess there was and how much good you guys did. So I've gotten good reports from you all around. Throw some money in the basket. We'll um, fix up some of the stuff that, you know, stuff breaks because you use it hard, right? So it's good. Okay, so that's a good thing. Um, we've, I think we've solved our troubles for people who need help with hearing, right? In the, in, at least people who have been using or uh, the earphones or if anybody... Needs help. Now, there was a little notice there, but this is the first Sunday. Uh, Pastor Bukes and there were Mike Licht and, you know, um, John Crow. There are a bunch of people, like, all peeking around trying to find a way to, to solve this. But we think we solved it very cheaply. So there's a new uh, Wi-Fi in the sanctuary that says listen, okay? If you, just, if you turn on your thing, Wi-Fi networks, listen is one of them. If you go download a free app, called Audio Fetch. Audio Fetch. It's got a little dog outside the house. <laughs> Audio Fetch, okay? Just download that. When you come in, all you do is push Audio Fetch on your phone, and after the first time you hook up to the Wi-Fi, it'll automatically, you'll be able to hear the service using your own phone and your own earphones. So this eliminates a bunch of the problems we've had, which are things like, the Saturday night people use up, they don't turn them off and the battery's all dead on Sunday morning. No, they're nice people, but you know, or you know, sometimes you got these, all these things, you got all, the, all, the, all, the, um, all of these lined up there, but you know, there's no, or every once in a while, Kirby, I go home for after I didn't have lunch and you know, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and what's on the kitchen table? A peanut butter sandwich, a glass of milk, and the one of these that Kirby used in the morning. So we figure we got these scattered all over the congregation. You know, they're a little like, you know, the old building. We, we had literally over 400 keys out to the old building because people would never give their keys back. We figure a lot of use. well, we're going to have the last laugh, okay? So um, does anybody use those? Does anybody admit it? I know you do, Kirby. You're going to late service. Mr. Shaw, you're a techno geek. Make, see if you can make it work today. Oh, well, then, then uh, it'll work anyway. It'll, it'll work anyway. And... 
Anybody else? Anybody else use it? If, if, you, if you have anything, well, here's the other thing we're going to do. Instead of buying these, these things cost 200 bucks a piece just to listen downstairs. We're going to, um, in fact, I'll just ask you. If you have an old iPhone lying around at home that you're not using, we will scrub it and just don't download that app so people can just use it, okay? So if you have an old iPhone you don't use, give it to Pastor Bukes. This is the same thing we did with the shut-ins. We set it up for the shut-ins so they could just punch one button on an iPhone and listen to us. You got it? So if anybody wants to experiment at the last... Did you try it today? It was wonderful. Oh, I was afraid you were going to say, and it wasn't working. It actually was wonderful? Okay, good. Yeah, here's the thing. If you're sitting over there, if we start to hear Spotify coming out of those little Bluetooth things, there'll be another issue. What's that? That's a pure heart right there. Spotify? What? What are you talking This That's good. That's the way it should be. That's like when you say to your kid, are you drinking in high school? They're like, drinking in high school? What? It was the same face. I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, that's all right. Hey. You know, I've seen, I've seen that commercial, people walking on the walls. I can imagine you upside down. It's going to be great. Don't worry. Talk to Bukes if you need help, okay? Uh, yes? Is it only iPhone or is it all? No, any, anything. Just download the app. You can download anything you got. If you, have a, if you have a phone that will pick up Wi-Fi and take an app, you're good to go. Oh, okay. All right? You could actually do it before the service during the announcements because this is what the announcement is going to be about. So it's going to be easy, right? Okay, anybody else got anything? Absolutely. If I start, if I see you listening and doing this, I know you're not, you know, because we're not taking live feedback, right, during the sermon, <laughs> right? Honestly, I'm not, I want to tell you that I, there used to be a dad and a kid who I could see always played games during my sermons. And I knew where they were going to sit, seven rows back on the right. And I'm always, I just wanted to say once during a sermon, I just wanted to lean and say, hey, man, who's winning? I just wanted to, because I'm like, I know they're playing against each other during this show. I'm like, eh, okay, I mean, well, I can't compete with Steve Jobs, so I get that, right? So, but, I, you know, yeah, if you're doing other things, we will, we will hunt you down like a half-price Kate Spade purse. We will. We have elders, you know. We have, we have elders here. You should watch more Gilmore Girls if you're going to be an elder. That's all I can say to you, okay? <laughs> Come on, everything you need to know. If you want to be a pastor, just watch all this. Watch, binge watch Andy Griffith, and then we'll ordain you, right? It'll, it'll be fine. Life will be fine. That's all you need to know. All right. Anything else? Okay, so um, this whole thing about how Jesus is, uh, is, is human and divine, it's, you know, it gets very complicated, but um, like all things, you should, you should wow. You should try to keep it simple. So it's, it's really easy. So, you know, Jesus is, uh, you, know, uh, you know, is Jesus human? Right? Is Jesus divine? Is Jesus a Prius? Right? Some sort of hybrid in the middle. Right? You with me? Sometimes I'm electric. Sometimes I'm the motor. Sometimes you can't tell. Sometimes people are honking at you for no reason. Okay, and then you know that human beings, at the very least have uh, a mind. Very interesting uh, comment today. In the, so a mind and a heart and a will. Very interesting comment in the, the long one after the Lord's Supper about how you come to church 
so that the beauty of the liturgy will discipline your emotions. Very interesting, right? So you, the way your eyes see things, right? In the same way, um, you wake up and your heart loves all kinds of things. You know what? Sometimes your eyes see bad things and we kind of go, that's bad. But right now, we're, we live in a place in America where people wake up and whatever they feel, hey, uncontestedly great because you're wonderful and nothing is shameful, right? Very interesting. So beauty, it's an interesting thing. Beauty doesn't just lure you. It also disciplines you. Some things are beautiful, telling the truth. Some things are ugly, lying. But you only figure that out after somebody gets hurt really badly, right? And that's often true for many sins. You only find out after a while. This is why civilizations collapse over, over centuries. Because, you know, suddenly the rot gets so bad you can't stop it. Um, anyway, so what is Jesus, right? And, uh, you know, I don't know if you're, you know, what, if I was just going to ask you, you know, what sort of questions that you have about Jesus, do you have any, like, top of your head kind of questions? Like, what sort of things, when you're reading the scriptures, are there some that you, maybe this is a bad question, but are there things that you wonder about Jesus? Yeah. Like? What was his self-understanding, like, what did he understand about yeah. himself? Who does he think he is? Yeah. Right. Does he think he's human, divine, or a Prius, right? And did he, and did right? Perfect. Yeah. So you're sitting right. You're sitting right there next to him. And when G, if you were Jesus looking at him, would you just know only what he tells you? Or would you look right into his heart and say, "Holy cow!" Right? Huh? So okay, good. So what does he know? When does he know it? How does how do divine things work with human things? Good. What else? You got other questions? What well, what obviously comes to mind? Okay, things like, um, does God die? Right? This is a very interesting sort of question. If Jesus is God and Jesus dies on the cross, then can you say God dies on the cross? Or does God change? Right? So Jesus is God. Does Jesus change? Well, yes. How does he change? What do the scriptures say? After, after his parents, parents found him in the temple, learning and vexing everybody, what do they say? He went home and he... He grew in age and wisdom, right? In reason and in stature. He got taller and he got smarter. But God doesn't change, I thought. You said. Or was that Yonker? Yeah. Does God change or does God not change, right? So Jesus is God and God doesn't change, but Jesus changes. See, how do you talk about that? Or one of the most vexing ones was, does God suffer, right? So God doesn't change. God is changeless. God's eternal and changeless. And yet we say Jesus is God and Jesus is crucified. And to be crucified is to suffer horribly. So what happens? What happens to Jesus on the cross? And what happens to God on the cross? And you know what? Just to make it more complicated, if the Son of God is dying on the cross, how does the Father feel? Does the Father feel like a normal father feels when he goes to the hospital and his son is in intensive care? Or does the father just say, sorry, I wish I could feel things? Or does he say, the fix is in, and I know how the story ends, so whatever happens, happens. See, these are the kind of very real questions. Because what happens is people ask these questions and pastors preach and um, people need to confess a particular kind of Jesus. And hey, guess what? Your salvation depends on this. 
So what does it mean? So um, open your Bibles. I just want you to, with, the, with, that kind of, with those kind of questions in mind, uh, you know, we're going to read John 1, and then uh, we'll read from Philippians next week when we kind of take the other side of the coin. But just, just imagine the questions that arise. Everything from what does Jesus know and how does he use his knowledge. Let me just give you the other one about knowing. Also is, um, when Jesus walks on the water, what's happening there? Does he walk on the water because he's human and perfect, or does he walk on water because he's God, right? What does it mean? What does it mean when, um, well, those, those sorts of questions, right? How do these things interplay? We'll eventually get there. Now, you have to hear this as if you're a first century uh, Hebrew living in a Greek world. And, you know, you don't have to be extraordinarily well-educated. You just have to kind of know what the milieu is. You just got to kind of feel what life is like. You have to maybe occasionally watch the evening news or, you know, read your, read, read your Twitter stream, right? This is all. So in the beginning was the word, John 1. In the beginning was the word. Everybody would have recognized this. For Greek philosophers, really easily, the word was the eternal principle that held the world, the universe together. Right, so forget about Christianity for a second. Just in Greek philosophy, this is a this is a loaded technical term. This is the this is the glue that holds holds the universe together. That's what the word is, right? It's this eternal principle. You know, it's the thought that makes everything run. It's 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 the thing that is, you know, the one principle that bundles up everything. So it's very interesting that John, a Jew, writing to the church, would say. You know, in the beginning was the word. People go, I thought that was Plato, right? That's, what that, that's how people would hear this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And, you know, the thing is, you could, philosophers could say that small g God at least, if there's, you know, anything that you'd call God or the gods, you know, and if they had an eternity, that would make sense that the word was with them. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Still, you know... You're still, um, you're still making inroads with people. You're still, people kind of saying, yeah, I heard about that before, and it's all okay. He was in the beginning with God. And people would say, you know, well, yeah, that's the things came from eternity, and they were emitted out, and, you know, it's God who did the emitting, so it makes sense that this first principle that held everything together would be there too. So far, still not too much argument. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And even then, still. Now, um, somewhere in here last week or this week, I put in the persons are distinguished by what they do. And if you went to Lutheran catechism class, you learned that God was the creator. But actually, um, Jesus did the heavy lifting, just as an aside. Because the text says, you know, everything that was made was made through him, right? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Still, even that is not offensive. Everybody would understand that, that if you're God, you've got people working for you. You're a king, you have slaves, right? You're a master, you have slaves. You're on the top, other people do the work, right? In him was life, that would have been okay. You know, still these sort of, they can be generic words that are used kind of in philosophy, or we talk about people being alive, or we even say of somebody who's exciting, she's alive. In him was life. And this life was the light of men. Again, illumination from darkness. This is Plato's cave and you're living in and all you see shadows and people outside. And if you could only see, right, all these things. These would just have been stories that would have been in people's consciousness. Everything would have still been, you know, roughly okay. Disagreement on the details, perhaps. 
The light shines in darkness, which is how people have always talked about getting better, getting smarter, getting faster, getting taller, getting you know, warmer, safer, drier. Yeah, light is always preferable to darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, that's a fairly hopeful thing. So in the first couple of verses here, and you know, we read this every Christmas, in the first couple of verses here, you would say there is a lot of continuity with the rest of the world, right? Now, everything is going to go south here in just a minute. Um, nine, the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. People would say, that's good. That's the way it works with the divine. The gods speak to us. The gods sends messengers. Light, you know, proceeds from the gods or from forever and comes to us. The light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world knew him not. And this is, you know, not uncommon either. You have these, you know, you have avatars, you have, um, you have, uh, appearances of the divine, you know, you have all kinds of notions that God appears and, you know, whether and how he appears and he appears for a while and then he disappears, you're still okay. He was in the world, the world was made through him, the world knew him not. Now a little more technical, he came to his own home and his own people received him not. So you get, now you get a little bit of a clue there because, of course, the, 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 the notion is that he comes to the Hebrews, to so the covenant people. And that he's one of them. Now that's a little, a little bit of a stretch. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. Even that is not an unusual way to speak, that you'd be a child of the gods or that you would have some sort of interest. Who were born not of blood, so n- not because somebody person chose it, nor of the flesh, so not at birth like yours, or was it, nor of the will of man, no, you didn't decide about this, but of God. But this is the part where everything gets undone and all the controversies now begin. And the word became flesh. That is abhorrent, you know, to Greek philosophy. You know, that's, that, that, that you would, and the, just let me say, this is abhorrent to anybody who's against the sacraments as well. This is where, you know, this is in the, in, in the Reformation, people who denied the body on the cross, people who denied the body in, in, um, in the Eucharist, people who denied salvation in the water, they're Platonists, not Christians. At the same time Luther was doing his stuff, there was a revival of Neoplatonism along with humanism, the new kind of education. Back to the sources. And one of the things, Plato became popular again. And Platonic ways, Aristotelian ways, Greek ways, were used to explain things. Transubstantiation is a riff on a Greek philosophical way to explain how Jesus can be present in the Eucharist. Right? But when you say, the word became flesh, this is a new thing. Right? This is the new thing. And this is what's going to be different because the word is here and flesh is here. And how the word became flesh is what people get excited about. And they get excited about that because now all the questions come clear. Does God change? Does God suffer? Does God die? What does God know? How does Jesus do that? What does it mean for him to be subservient? What does, what's it mean for him to wash the disciples' feet? What kind of a God is that? All these things sort of come to the fore in this one verse. And the word became flesh. And then the technical word here, dwelt amongst, doesn't really get it. The technical word there, the word became flesh. And the word 
It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word tabernacled. So the, a real reading of this, a literal reading would be, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And now anybody who's Jewish, all their bells are going off. Because they know that when God revealed himself in the burning bush, for example, or in the covenants, you know, ultimately he revealed himself in the tabernacle. You remember this from Sunday school, remember? A pillar of fire by day, light, and a pillar of cloud by night. Oh, I'm sorry, got it upside down. A pillar of cloud by day, right? A pillar of cloud by day, presence. And now you're going to hear that. You're going to hear that pillar of cloud by day. And you're going to hear that, for example, next week in the Transfiguration. Remember, the three disciples are up, and it gets foggy. There's a cloud. When clouds appear, that's the Lord sort of settling in. So a cloud by day and fire by night, right? So presence and illumination. When they heard tabernacled, what they would hear and what they would eventually learn is the same Lord who was in the burning bush, the same Lord who was in the tabernacle, the same Lord who was in the temple and then left the temple in Ezekiel, but promised in Zechariah that the Messiah would once again put his feet on Mount Olives, on the Mount of Olives, right? This text says it's Jesus, right? That Yahweh is tabernacling among his people, not in the tabernacle, not in the temple, not in the burning bush, not even in the Ark of the Covenant, but in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. This is absolutely upside downness for anybody who is not a Jew. And even for Jews, oftentimes it was difficult depending on how they thought about the Messiah. Whether they really thought Yahweh would take the flesh and blood of a normal person. And now, of course, you say, how does, for example, God from forever, who is defined by burning light, let's say, how does he put himself into human flesh without destroying it? How does that happen? How does God, who is pure mind, right, who knows everything, is the genesis of all thoughts, how does he put himself into a human mind, human soul? How does this work? So often people would say, you know, they would argue this by saying, well, he wasn't really a man or he wasn't really God or he was only partway or they put him in a blender, you know, and punched the mix button. And he, this is, you know, this is true. He was a hybrid of some sort. That's how people talk about him. Well, it's difficult to understand if you press it out to the end. In the end, you can't understand the mind of God. What you want to do, and this is what the creed is trying to do. This is how the creed's trying to love you. It's just trying to tell you all the things that you should say. So, you know, the end of the last outline I gave today, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. It's five different ways to say something we don't understand, which is Jesus has the same stuff, the same ousius, the same stuff, the same being, the same existence that the Heavenly Father has and also that the Holy Spirit has, right? And then next week, we'll talk about, we'll read from Philippians, where it talks about how God emptied himself, how Jesus and came down and humiliated himself by dying as a servant, which would have just been, this would have been stuff that would have just, it would have been utterly upside down. The whole notion that Jesus wins by losing, right? The whole notion of the resurrection, that you live by dying, this is upside downness, right? And especially that you would get your flesh back. 
That you would, you know, the resurrection of the body. And it's amazing if you talk to Christians how, how often you bump into Christians who don't actually believe, A, that Jesus has his body right now, which he does, or B, that you will get your body back. That heaven will be filled with, we always have this notion of, you'll be filled with invisible spirits, so you turn into an angel. No, you are what you are, right? You're descendants of Adam and Eve, and when you get resurrected, you get your flesh back. You'll be able to touch Jesus on the nose when you meet him, right? A firm handshake, and look him in the eye. That would be my advice, okay? So how these things fit together is what the creed tries to do. Now, it doesn't try to do it, you know, everything we're going to do this week and kind of next week is sort of things where you're like, eh, don't go over there, that's not going to help you, or don't touch that, or don't push this one too hard, or that's completely wrong. You know, this great thing from the Cappadocian Fathers that Jesus doesn't save what he doesn't assume, right? So if Jesus doesn't pick up everything that you are and pull it into himself, you and I are done for, right? Which is another way of saying that Jesus is fully human. And this is another way of saying that he's fully divine. The word from eternity, light, agent of creation, that which holds everything together, takes flesh. This is why, you know, Christmas is such a big deal. Because we actually confess that God became one of us without destroying us. That human beings can coexist with God and not only live but flourish. It's a remarkable thing. And, you know, Jesus is the insulation on the wire that kind of keeps us going, right? Jesus is the one he mediates the divine presence, or he makes it safe for us to come near to God. He protects us, both by his flesh and by his work. Okay? So the word became flesh, and he tabernacled among us. So what's happened is, is the presence of God has been moving from Eden to the burning bush, um, to the Ark of the Covenant, to the tabernacle, to the temple, to the belly of Mary to the manger, to the temple, and now wandering around. If you want to know where Jesus is, if you, I'm sorry, if you want to know where God is, you can track his progress this way. From Eden, to the burning bush, to the tabernacle, to the temple, to Mary's womb, to wander around Galilee, to the cross, to the tomb, and to the Holy Eucharist. That's how the progression goes. Boop, 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 boop. And at every point, it's a physical, fleshly presence. That's the reason why we pray um, body, soul, um, body, soul, and divinity, right? That's why we talk about the being wrapped up in the flesh of Jesus. That's why we talk about touching Christ. Because the same Jesus who is in all those places, you know, his final destination for now is the Holy Eucharist. That's why the Eucharist is at the middle of things. That's why Lutherans who don't privilege the Eucharist have really taken a wrong turn. Because that's, that's where Jesus puts himself to be found. He puts himself in the Eucharist with the same flesh and blood that was, was born of Mary and hung on the cross and rose from the dead. Right? So that's where you, sheltered by bread and wine, can touch the divine, can touch the flesh and blood that died on the cross, without being destroyed. In fact, it just does the, does the opposite. It makes you live. And this is then also why you're careful about whom you give the Eucharist to because we really, truly believe that Jesus is in there. And if you touch that divine to somebody who's unrepentant, you can destroy them. First Corinthians 11. This is why some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some of you have died. 
The goal, of course, is to commune every person on earth. The other goal is not to kill them in the process, right? And we actually think that because Jesus is there swimming around in the wine and, you know, stretched out in the bread. That's why the host has a cross on it. When the pastor holds it up, look at it. It has a cross, the body of Christ, right? The body that was on the cross. It's about to touch you, and it'll do one of two things to you. It will save you or it will kill you, right? So this is just a long line of stuff, but these questions do become practical. What does Jesus know? How does Jesus work? You know, does he get tired sometimes and he just, um, you know, does he get tired sometimes and he just, like, you know, decides he'll, he'll like, click the divine button, like, and then that's and he clicks it back off again? Um, You know, here's a, and here maybe be the most interesting question is whether Jesus can sin. Because human beings can sin, Right? So can Jesus sin? He's certainly tempted towards sin, right? Matthew 4, second, first week of Lent, Satan will show, show up again and say, I can show you an easy way out of all of this. Much like he said to Adam, I can show you the easy way through this. He says to, he says to Jesus, I can show you the easy way through this. Same as he said to Israel, we'll show you the easy way, right? Well, see, these are all the questions that sort of come to mind because otherwise... You know, if Jesus can't sin, is the fix sin? If he can sin, what does that mean about the divine power? All these things kind of fit together. You're safe if you're willing to say, only begotten, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance, one oozy, one stuff of the Father, by whom all things were made. You just read that in verse 4. You're safe if you're willing to say that. No matter if you understand it or misunderstand it, You are safe if you're willing to say that. And let me just, I'll go to the end then and say, this is the most important thing, which is you simply confess at some point that you can't understand it. We'll talk about it a little bit. We'll see what the questions might be. We can see some possible answers. We'll try to keep from being confused about other gods. For example, um, in some of the Eastern religions, the gods appear for only for a moment, right? One of the things that's unique about Christianity is that God appears in flesh forever. He's always there. What does that actually mean for us? Okay, how are you doing? You still okay? You see how important all of this is. You, it's not important that you understand every last detail. In fact, there's a mystery here that is impossible to understand. What is important, though, is that you're willing to say, um, Oh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, Right? I'm doing my best here. And it can get technical. And when it gets technical, sometimes it cannot be fun. Um, And people can really sort of, you know, churches can split over the technicalities. In fact, the Christological technicalities are one of the reasons why, you know, people were actually killed by other people, both sides saying that they were Christians. Athanasius, you know, who won the day at Nicaea for this creed, exiled On his fourth exile, he says, famously as he's being chased out of town, it's just a little cloud, it will pass, right? And he's the bishop who comes back and wins the day at at, uh, at Nicaea. All right? You still okay? All right, so just, we're going to pick these up in order. You'll see how simple this is, I hope. All right, so seven. Uh, I'm just going to sort, I'm going to try to do in order what I haven't done in order for weeks, right? So, you know, what does it mean if you say only begotten? Son of God, how do those things happen? How do, you, how do you talk about only begotten Son of God? Well, 
there's only so many ways you can get it wrong, right? The grid, the grid doesn't go forever. There's just so many ways that you can get this wrong. Um, you check the wrong boxes, you can only get it wrong. So much so that at Cambridge, when I went to Cambridge, I learned that up until the 20th century, they only taught the first 800 years of church history doctrine, of historical doctrine, because they said all the mistakes are made by then. And it's actually true. You know? So for ex- every year, and I don't know what it will be this year, but I, I know I'll just have to breathlessly wait for another two or three, three weeks, and that National Geographic will tell me once again, as they annually do it, it's Easter, why what I believe couldn't possibly be true. And then you know, we'll sort of look at that and have a little snicker, because there's nothing new here. Right? So, you know, when everybody gets all upset about the Da Vinci Code, you know, we just spent about a month of our life on that. It's an interesting book. I mean, I read it. It's fun, blah, blah. But it's just, it's just old Gnosticism that said Jesus didn't really take flesh. Or on the other side, Jesus really did have flesh, and he got married and had kids, and he moved to France, which is not a bad life for most people. But for the Son of God, probably not right. Okay? You know, it's just, it's just how it works. So, um, you know, you can't make too many any 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 new mistake. So, and that's kind of comforting because really smart people before us, really smart people, and people who are willing to suffer and die for this have left us really good answers. So we just try, try, to, try to say, you know, what does it mean that God took flesh and what kind of questions would that raise, okay? Turn your page. Here are the ways that things go wrong. And these are pretty simple. You would think, you know, how do people, you know, become rich or famous trying to figure this kind of stuff out? Well, they spend a lot of time on it, and they get you to believe that it's important. But, you know, there's a couple of ways this can go wrong. One is, you remember that that I, I sort of said to you last week, there's a couple of ways this works. We're just trying to defend two things. This God is man. This man is God. Right? That's all we're trying to defend. This, the, the text says, you know, this God is man, John 1, and... This man is God, the centurion. Surely this man must have been the son of God. Or, or, or Philippians 2, we'll do that next week. You know, this man is divine, and yet he becomes subordinate in some sense. So just this simple thing, this, this God, God, this God is man, this man is God. You know, eight, eight words, right? Well, so people go, well, hold on now. He just, you know, the first one, the docetus, right? He just looks like he's a god. He's not really a god. Or, or, I'm sorry, he's not, he just looks like a man. He wasn't really a man. Um, and then you sort of split God in half, or you split Jesus in half. It's like Jesus is two boards that are kind of glued together, right? So there's Jesus, the man, and then there's um, the word who's God. And there's sort of, you know, there's some sort of connection here. And at the crucifixion point, you, know, you just sort of take that out, and, and the man suffers, but God takes a leave. Because, of course, everybody knows God can't suffer. You see how this works? Right? We say, Jesus is human, Jesus is divine. But wait, God can't suffer and die, so what does that mean? Well, one way to say it is, well, he wasn't, he wasn't really a man, right? Um, and you, you got it another way, basically saying Jesus brought his flesh with him. He didn't get it from Mary. These are kind of famous ways to get around it. Or he just looked like a man. He wasn't really a man. He just sort of, you know, he had the part. This is an HBO special, right? He just, he just sort of played the part of a man. He wasn't really a man. So one way you can solve the problems of what did he know? Did he suffer? Did he really die? Is he, you can just say, you can say one of the others, he wasn't really human. He wasn't really divine. And the church mixed this up for the first 400 years trying to figure it out, right? And people argued and politics got involved and 
not just bishops, but princes and kings and emperors. And, you know, uh, it got nasty at times. So, but one way, the first of these, this whole page is basically saying um, Jesus is not really uh, a true man. Or, as you get to number 10, Arius, who was a big hitter in the church, it was he and Athanasius who really, that was the battle line that was drawn in the fourth century. He basically said, um, Jesus is a creature. He's not from forever. This is on number 7.10, right? You can see I only have nine pages to go in the next six minutes. I should be able to do this, okay? No worries about this. You know we can do it. So one way to just say is that he's either not truly man or he's not truly God. And then there were always sort of interesting uh, things. This is number 11. Adoptionists are particularly interesting to me partly because I had a really good friend at Princeton when I was there who actually was a modern-day adoptionist. He actually believed that Jesus was born as a human being, and he kind of worked his way into being divine. Classically, the place where that happens is at his baptism, that what happens when Jesus gets baptized by John the baptizer and God looks down and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, that's where he becomes divine. Isn't that interesting? That's another way to try to solve the problem. You can solve the problem by saying... Jesus is God and man. You could say, well, he wasn't really man or he wasn't really God. Another clever way to solve it is say, well, he grew up into God. He got to be God later in his life. He saved enough S&H green stamps and he presented them at the Piggly Wiggly at Mount Vernon, Iowa, where we used to shop. And yeah, he took the divine because he had a lot of stamps. That's how it works, you know. Well, apparently you've never been to a Piggly Wiggly, but you should go, right? Um, And another way to talk about it is by saying that Jesus really isn't uh, two persons, right? So that he, usually we'd say, you know, he's this is a person, so this is another way to talk about two natures, one person. So this is a nature, and this is a nature. You have a nature, God has a nature, but there's only one person. You know, this is just simple kind of philosophical or math stuff. You can just say, well... He wasn't really that. Basically, what happens is you basically are just saying, Jesus, just just think, just negate the things. You say, Jesus, this is what we say, Jesus is true God and true man. There's just so many ways you can negate that, which is to say, he's not really a person. There's more than one Jesus packed in there. He's not really human. You know, he's only partially human. Or, you know, he's mixed up kind of human. He's not really divine. He's less than God the Father, or maybe just pretended on the way. Um, so even this, you know, I bore myself after I start talking about this for a little while. You're kind of going, you know, this isn't the stuff that matters. All right, flip your page um, to eight, okay? The question is, you have to, this is number eight, number one. When you say this, you just have to ask yourself how many things you're believing in. When you say Jesus is God and Jesus is man, are you believing in one thing, two things, three things, some mix of things? What are you trying to say, right? What does it mean to say this God is man and this man is God, right? I'll probably end with this, kind of starting with number six. Here's the important thing you need to know and what John's trying to tell you. So I'm at the outline that started number eight, and I'm at point six on that outline. Here's the important thing for you to know. This is why Jesus takes flesh. This is why the story is important. This is why Christmas matters. This is why Easter matters. This is why the creed matters. This is why the church matters. The church matters because in Jesus, your heavenly father tells you what he thinks of you. 
And at the end of the day, it's that relationship with your Heavenly Father that is the only thing that matters in the entire universe. That's all that matters. And the church confesses, if you want to know what God your Father thinks of you, look at what he's done for you in Jesus. It's really that simple, right? So what does Jesus say? Jesus says, John's arrested, Jesus comes, the kingdom of God is here, or the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is right next to you, or heaven has come to earth. And people would be looking around going, er, what? Heaven has come to earth? Where? Right? In his flesh. Heaven has come to earth in his flesh. This is why, I mean, this is why you can't be, you can barely be Christian if you're non-sacramental. I, and I'm actually, I don't, you can't overstate this. The kingdom of God comes in Jesus' flesh born of Mary, right? If you, like, a, like Plato say, the flesh doesn't matter or the flesh isn't here, you're dangerously close to losing everything, right? Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. The natural answer is where? And the, God the Father answers in his baptism when he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. It's in his flesh, born of Mary. All, this, all, all the stories are telling you the same thing, that your life and death and resurrection and eternity is bundled up in the flesh of Jesus, right? The kingdom of God is right here. That's the whole point. So God tells you about his nature. His nature is love. And he tells you about his intentions. He wants to save you. And he tells you about that in Jesus So you see how simple and complicated this is at the same time. You really don't need to know much to be saved, right? Jesus is Lord. In the old days, when Christianity was still under the ban, when Christians, when you needed a sponsor to get in the church door to study about this, when when they could be killed for being Christian in the early, I'm talking 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, to sneak into the meeting at the door, you would say... Jesus is Lord. You would say what we say at the gospel, right? Glory to you, O Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The reason those two responses are around the gospel is because those are the things by which you live and die. In the early church, when you would come to church or come to the catechumenate, at the door with your sponsor, they would say, "Er," and you would say, Jesus is Lord, which is to commit treason, and was punishable by death because only Caesar was Lord, right? And one of the so it's it's the way that you know that it's the way you get you commit a crime with somebody else and now you're in because of you ever seen Training Day? Yeah, yeah. Hey, who's going to believe you? You're full of PCP, right? I mean, that's a genius. That's the, I'm just thinking to myself. That's the gospel reading. Denzel, I mean, you should go watch. If you want to lie awake tonight, go, go watch Denzel in Training Day, okay? I can't remember all of it. And when I talk about movies, I only vouch for the parts that should be good for you. But really, I mean, that is the most, that is a work of raw evil. It's amazing, right? Hey, Jesus is Lord. That's what people meant, right? Okay, so um, how does Jesus, or how does the God the Father think about you? All he wants is to be reconciled to you and bring you home. And if you want to know what that looks like, if you want to know what heaven looks like, it looks like the flesh of Jesus. And that's why it's so important. That's why if people say to you, Jesus is not really human, his flesh isn't real, then your salvation isn't real. When he's not assumed, he's not saved. This is, this is where the rubber hits the road. Explain it however you want. But if you say, Jesus is not a real human being, then I'm sorry, your salvation isn't real. 
The the, the confession of the church is, this is how you're saved, by touching this flesh. And if the flesh is fake, your, your salvation is fake, and the church is fake. It's so simple, right? And if Jesus isn't really divine, it's impossible for you to be saved, because you can't save yourself. Nobody grows up into being God. It's not just a natural progression. Read the newspaper when you go home today, if you think it is. The world is going straight to hell, and all you can do is kind of sit back and go, yeah, we knew this. We are reaping what we've sown for decades, centuries, since the Reformation, right? Okay? So when you say he's not really human or he's not really divine, you're basically, this is why the church says, whoa, 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 whoa. Because that the whole game is over when you don't say that. So what we have to try to do, we'll do this next week, we'll try to do is figure out how can we say that Jesus is completely human and completely divine? How do we say that? Because if either of those get foiled, you're not saved, right? If those are true and they're going to touch you in the Eucharist in about 23 minutes, you got nothing to worry about, right? Because Jesus lives inside you and you are indestructible because Jesus is indestructible. After all, he's divine and he's human, all right? All right, see you next week. Got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you soon.